Welcome to Kingdom Perspectives. My name is Stacey Hillier, and it's my honour to host you for today's podcast. Kingdom Perspectives is all about getting God's perspective on life, culture, and ministry. In a world of increasing noise and deception, we need to cut through the confusion and complexity of the times we live in and get God's perspective on our lives. We would be so grateful if you would click on the subscribe button to automatically receive this podcast on a weekly basis. Also, we'd love to hear how God is using this podcast to grow your kingdom perspective. So leave us a review. It's now my pleasure and privilege to introduce our senior apostolic leader, husband to Simone, father of three amazing kids, lover of all things bike riding and fitness, (laughs) devourer of God's word and lemon meringue pie, an Iron Man and an Iron Prophet wearing a mask today. Oh my god. Pastor gosh. Corey Turner. I haven't heard of something so outrageous in all my life. That's the one of the classic introductions. All true. For any ministry. I'm not sure that well, I'm not wearing my mask anymore. No. Let's talk about masks for a moment because yeah. we had a staff member today wearing a paper bag with holes we cut did. in it instead of their mask. Yep. It worked. It did work. It, Whatever works, I just say, get it over your face, do what you need to do. (laughs) And if you are listening from the other side of the world, currently in the state of Victoria, we have quite severe restrictions and it's now compulsory to wear a mask, particularly when you're outside. Thankfully, not during the Kingdom Perspective podcast. It's true. I was at the shop the other day with one of my sons and there was a lady wearing like a fiberglass screen thing across her face and River said, mum, why is that lady wearing a window on her face? (laughs) And I said, well, son, that's COVID. Yeah. Yeah. She'll need Windex to keep that clean. Some wipers for the condensation that happens. So what's your mask looking like these days or haven't you got it yet? Well, I'm wearing a paper one at the moment, which is not good with my vibes. Doesn't work at all. So I'm waiting in the post for a pink and purple and aqua blue tie dye cloth mask. That'll work. And a rocket. Suit your personality. Thank you. Yeah. What have you got Bring up your life. sleeve or on your face? Um, oh, look, I've gone the cloth option. Yep. I've ordered some black ones to right. complement my outfits. Yes. But um, my wife uh, bought some uh, cloth ones with a, right. a leopard or a tiger like or something. Like a tiger. Like a tiger. Yep. And on the other side, it's reversible, which is very practical, is it denim. It is. Oh. So we're winning at the moment. Denim's always a good choice here in Melbourne. It is. Denim and leather, I like it. And we will hear your leather jacket all throughout this podcast. Probably squeaky, not. I'm not going to move at all. Aren't you? Take, no. Stay completely still. <laughs> That's it. Hey, this podcast has been blessing so many people. We've been getting so much good feedback about it. Good and news. today, we're going to do a bit of a rapid fire we are. Q&A on all things leadership. We are. And so I thought that it might be good to start with, from your experience, can you give us your top three, it's a big ask, Yeah. Okay. top three tips to up-and-coming leaders? Good. Good things coming three. So top three tips to (laughs) up-and-coming leaders. Okay. Um, There's a few things here that I think uh, have marked my own journey into leadership and ministry. Firstly, I would encourage every 
emerging leader out there to establish a daily appointment with God and keep it for the rest of their life. This has all got to do with intimacy with God. And uh, those of you who are regular listeners and subscribers to Kingdom Perspectives would expect me to answer (laughs) and begin there because I just think it's so foundational and fundamental to everything of life and ministry. Secondly, I would say do the best you can with what's in your hand right where you are. Mm. And that's all about faithfulness. Often we are looking to the future and what we want to do, what our dreams are, what our aspirations are, but we're not thinking about how am I stewarding what I have right now in my hand and Mm -hmm. in my life. And then the third thing I would say is learn as much as you can in every opportunity given to you. And that's all about the posture of humility. And we're not going to be able to um, assume that posture uh, of learning if there isn't an attitude of teachability and humility. I heard um, a common quote that we often hear in regards to leadership is that leaders are learners. And the moment you stop learning, you stop leading. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the great postures of a leader throughout their entire leadership journey is to um, adopt an attitude of humility and teachability that says, um, what can I learn today and 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 be open to learning from everyone and everything. Often we're looking to learn from those who may be further ahead than us, mm-hmm. who are quite well known. Mm-hmm. They may be famous or celebrities, yep. uh, Christian celebrities. Uh, and, and we're often wanting to hear from them, but we're not so much open to learning from our colleagues yep. or learning from even those that we lead. Yep. Whereas a, a true humble leader has a 360 degree approach mm-hmm. to learning and that is you learn from everyone and anything from any angle yeah. at any time in your life. I love that and you've talked here about intimacy, faithfulness and humility and what I love about that is intimacy produces the fruit of faithfulness and yeah. humility. Can you talk for a moment, maybe flesh out for people who are trying to behave and modify to be faithful or humble and the role of intimacy and that interplay? Really good question because I think when I use the term adopt the attitude of humility, Mm. it can feel a bit like performance orientation, like it's a play or it's an act that we do in order to get a result and an outcome. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to touch on this throughout this uh, podcast, but the reality is um, uh, the posture of your heart matters, motivation matters. And so to come back to what you were saying, when it comes to these areas, unless we have a genuine experience of a deepening relationship with Christ and the work of His Spirit in our lives, the fruits of the Spirit and the realities of faithfulness, humility, etc., they're not going to become a reality. They're not going to become a normal part of our approach to life um, simply by effort alone. Uh, Religion is characterized by following a list of rules and regulations. Relationship is a byproduct of God's grace and our faith. And so as we bring our faith um, and partner that with the sovereign grace of God and allow the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word and through His presence and through the community of believers around us to impact us, change takes place. And often in a Uh, particularly a Western uh, context, we individualize Mm. personal transformation. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize that 
from a Hebrew mindset, from a uh, the, the the context in which the Bible was written, is that true transformation is not just independent, individualistic, and separated from others. It's actually often a communal affair, mm. and so there's a, a need for us to be engaged with the church. There's a need for us to have a genuine faith in Jesus, but there's also a need for us to open up to the person of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to change us, beginning with the renewing of our mind right through the transformation of our hearts. Really good. And talking about that renewing of the mind, because it's a little bit like the chicken and the egg, right, that we think about because it actually takes humility and faithfulness to keep coming back to the place of intimacy. And yet intimacy produces fruit spiritually and naturally. That is faithfulness and humility. So you can't separate them all. They all work together, don't they? Yeah. And so let's talk for a moment because we've just touched on humility. Yep. And I think people can sometimes confuse pride and ambition. Can you talk to the role of ambition in ministry? It's important that we talk about this because most um, leaders that I know that are really affecting change around them have ambition. Right. And have a drive that um, often is put down Mm -hmm. in Christendom and in ministry and church life. Competition is different to ambition. Competition really is something that's fueled by uh, our own brokenness. And unfortunately, um, whilst there are aspects of me, you know, growing up, being involved with sport, love a bit of competition, at the end of the day, when you really think about it, the desire to win and be better than someone else, that really comes from a place of pride. Yeah. So we're, we're not advocating... Uh, competitive pride here Mm -hmm. Um, Paul in speaking to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10 12 he says when we measure ourselves by one another and compare ourselves with one another Mm -hmm. we are without understanding Mm -hmm. so comparison and competitiveness is really fueled by pride so when it comes to this issue of ambition we need to check the source Mm -hmm. is the the motive behind that that really matters to god is it fueled by love or is it fueled by the flesh Mm -hmm. if it's fueled by our flesh by our desire to be better than somebody else to feel significant and important that just reflects our brokenness but if it's fueled by a love for god and a love for others because we want to see the kingdom of god advance in people's hearts that that's a good reason to be ambitious paul said i make it my ambition to preach the gospel Mm -hmm. so apparently in the right context with the right motive ambition is a really really good thing um but James in James 3, 14 to 16 talks about where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there you'll find disorder and every vile practice. So that there is an ambition that's different to the ambition that Paul's talking about, but in fact can be Mm self-centered. And then he goes on in James 4, 3 by saying, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on uh, your passions or your um, wrong motives. So Mm -hmm. I think... Um, ambition needs to be redeemed. Yep. Ambition needs to be reclaimed. But we constantly need to ask ourselves, why do I want that? Yeah. Why do I want to have that um, influence? Why do I want to have that platform? What is that about? Is that about me and my own brokenness? Or is that actually about advancing the cause of the kingdom and bringing more glory and honor to God? And sometimes that's a fine line. And sometimes the only way that you can distinguish what is 
godly ambition from what's ungodly is if someone else mirrors back to you the fruit of what's coming out of your mouth and out of your life, which then bleeds back into what we were saying earlier. Well, even one of the things I've found helpful is if God places a dream in your heart and you're trying to discern, is this from God or is is this myself? When you imagine that thing coming to fruition, are you at the center of that? Is it making much of you or is God at the center of that? And is it making much of God's kingdom? Because at the center of the dreams he and desires he plants within us, the spotlight won't be on us. It will be on who God is and his kingdom coming to earth. Really good. And I think um, the Apostle Paul's words come to mind in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, where he talks about this division that was happening in the church of Corinth uh, around people following Apollos or people following Paul. And Paul says, who are we? We're actually servants through whom you believed. In other words, we're not um, celebrities or servants to whom you give attention to. We're servants through whom you believed in Christ. And so I think what you've touched on is really important for people is your ministry is your leadership is your work about attention coming to you or is it about um, the attention going through you to Christ and to others because a leader that truly um, is effective in their ministry and in their leadership is someone that's more focused upon the people they're serving than they are upon themselves. Yes. I do not want to be motivated by how does this make me look as I want to be thinking about how can I more effectively serve somebody else. And I don't think that anybody we serve with or do life with goes into ministry or serving in an area of church life or even a relationship with Jesus going, I'm going to make this all about me. It just happens one degree at a time. And that's actually one of the gifts of this season we are in. Put aside wearing masks and all the rest of it. (laughs) This is an opportunity actually for us to take all the masks off and go, are there areas in my serving of God and how I represent Jesus that I've actually degree by degree made about me that I should reassess at the moment. Absolutely. And I think when we face contradictions in life and when we face things that don't go our way, we are confronted with what is the reason behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. And COVID uh, and this whole crisis and the restrictions associated with that I know from the conversations I've had with lots of different people and particularly leaders has challenged a lot of those presuppositions and motives behind why they do what they do. And for some leaders, they've come to the conclusion in this season that the current and mode of operating is not sustainable and uh, they can't keep up the engagement in their ministry or in their particular area of work because... COVID and the contradictions have revealed some things that are just not sustainable in their own hearts. And I, and so I think sometimes it takes a crisis to actually reveal where is our ambition. It's like an ambition check. Yeah. Where is our ambition at and what's the motive behind it? Can I press into that for a moment? Because as who you are as a person and God's grace and calling upon your life and the giftings he's given you, There are many primary and yet public ways that God has called you to bring his kingdom to earth. Mm. Preaching and teaching, uh, you're second to none in terms of your preaching and teaching gift and the the anointing on your life. Take that that away in this season. 
What has it looked like if you could invite us into your story for a moment that God's even been doing in you in this season of how have you reconciled? How do I bring kingdom to earth when you take away the preaching and the teaching and the public ministry? Yeah. Well, even my personality, um, I love people. Um, as a communicator, I feed off the energy of people. Right. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that has been such a critical part of my own ministry journey is been those moments that I've pointed to where I've stood up in front of a congregation and been able to preach the word that God's given me and see the fruit of that be outworked in the lives of the people in their response, mm-hmm. be it in the altar call uh, or be it in the testimonies post that point of engagement. Or it could be um, a public prophecy that you've given to various individuals or to a ch- church and six months later, a year later, two years later, you see the impact and the fruit of that. Well, in this season where you don't have a congregation and there are restrictions on gatherings all of that's taken away. You're looking at a camera yeah. and um, that's not exactly exciting um, because no one signed up to just create content to look at a camera. You want to minister to people. So I've been forced in this season to look at, okay, um, where is my value? Mm. Is my identity based upon the fact that God created me in his image and Christ died on the cross for me and rose again and reconciled me to himself um, or is my identity based upon the encouraging comments after a Sunday message, the um, fruit of transformation that I can see in people's lives. The truth is here at Numa, we have not seen members of our congregation now for over five months. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've contacted them. We've seen them maybe on Zoom here and there. Um, we've heard lots of reports, we, but but we're not actually seeing the fruit of that. So for me, I've had the Holy Spirit at different times had to take me through a journey of helping me understand, well, do I really believe all the things that I've been telling people over the last 20 years? Right. Do I believe that for myself? Mm. And I have found myself in different seasons, in different moments of contradiction being forced to swallow my own preaching yeah. and 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 really check my own heart as to, do I believe this stuff? Yeah. And I think to every leader out there, rather than running away from those moments mm-hmm. and running away from the um, hard questions that come when you don't have the feedback from the people, when some of the metrics that you use mm-hmm. to measure your worth mm-hmm. And your value. Mm. It could be the, the number of people giving their lives to Christ. It could be the number of baptisms. It could be the number of life groups or those who attended your conference or the, the bottom line of income. When some of those metrics are taken away, who are you really? Well, you're still someone of worth and value. Mm. You still have something to offer the world. And whilst all of us need encouragement and feedback to some degree, I think that's emotionally healthy. The reality is we've got to be able to find our sense of inherent worth and value in our identity in Christ, not as a cliche, not as a sermon, but as a living, breathing, breathing reality on an everyday basis. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And you are, of course, our global leader. So we've got five locations here in Australia and we've got one in Thailand. So for those who may be listening today who are actually aspiring to senior leadership positions, what tips have you got for them? 
Look, I think the first is not to beat yourself up if you do have an aspiration and a desire yeah. to be a leader because Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or leader, they desire a noble task. Mm-hmm. It is a noble thing to want to influence others for the cause of the kingdom. I think, though, that you need to soberly assess, firstly, Uh, clarifying your calling and your gifting. Mm -hmm. God is the one who appoints and anoints. I firmly believe that calling is not a decision we make. Mm -hmm. It's a discovery Mm -hmm. that we make. Mm -hmm. Um, Often we're asked when we're, uh, you know, in year 10 or year 9, I don't know when it was for you, Mm -hmm. by the careers teacher, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. And the kid doesn't even know what they're going to eat at lunchtime, let alone (laughs) what what they're going to study at university or what they're going to be when they grow up. Um, And part of that is we place enormous pressure in our culture upon young people to decide their future. And the reality is, um, for me, every time I've tried to work this thing out and decide it, it's generally gone pear-shaped. But when I've assumed a posture of humility and said, Jesus, I'm following you, I've discovered more about my destiny and my calling and the appointing and anointing upon my life than when I've tried to work it all out in my own strength. Mm. So I think the first thing is clarify your calling and gifting. Paul said, be sober-minded and judge yourself with a sober perspective uh, according to the measure of faith that you've received. Mm -hmm. Um, I think secondly, what I would say, coming back to the whole intimacy with God perspective, intimacy precedes action. Pray before you act. If only I had followed my own advice mm-hmm. in this every time uh, it, it, before I acted on something. I believe, and I have a saying talk a, a, around here, everything works better after prayer. Yeah. Just pray about it. Before every meeting, we pray. Before this podcast today, we prayed. Before I get on with my day, I pray, and I know you do the same, Stace, because there's just power in prayer. There's power in intimacy. Pray before you act. And then the third thing is learn to follow well. You cannot lead well if you haven't learned to follow. And lots of people want to be leaders, and that's good. And at the start of this particular question or um, the, the few thoughts that I've shared, I talked about the nobility of aspiring to a leader. However, Jesus is looking for followers, not leaders. He doesn't need leaders. He needs followers. He said, you follow me and I'll make you something. We're too busy trying to make ourselves something rather than actually just getting caught up in following Jesus. And Jesus has an amazing ability to make us into the people that he's called us to be, Mm -hmm. to empower us, to gift us. All of our gifts are freely given anyway from heaven. We didn't do anything to earn them. So often, rather than trying to make our lives something, I just would encourage you, learn to follow well. And the first person you learn to follow well is Christ. Secondly, your leader. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, those around you who may be further down the road than you, who are giving you input, advice and perspective. You cannot go wrong if you learn to follow well. And as you follow well, you qualify to lead others. And Jesus even modeled this as well. He, He said, I don't do or say anything I haven't seen my father doing or saying. And again, this comes back to intimacy. He was spending intimate time with his father. He was following his father's will. So good. It's great. I want to ask you, as one of the most disciplined people, the most get-up-and-go people I know, what drives or motivates you other than an Audi? (laughs) (laughs) I do like my car. Um, I think that... um, 
the concept of drivenness can often be cast in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sometimes it is a negative thing. Sometimes it comes from a heart that is fueled by um, search for identity mm-hmm. and a search for significance. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been a theme that's come all the way through this podcast. For me, when it comes to the issue of motivation and what drives me, I would say firstly, knowing God. Psalm 27.4 is probably my favorite verse of the Bible, and that is, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that which I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze upon his beauty in his temple. There's something about knowing God, and 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 you can never come to the end of that. Mm-hmm. It's like just when you think you've heard all the stories read all the scriptures you know for years i made it a practice to read through the bible every year and then one time i went okay 90 days i'm going to speed read the bible Mm. um and and forgetting that the goal wasn't just to get through the bible but to get the bible through me and knowing god is a never-ending uh exercise where no matter how much you know about god there's always something new you're going to discover and for me the picture is of a diamond depending upon which way you're looking at that diamond and the reflection of the light on that diamond it emphasizes and illuminates a different aspect of Mm -hmm. that and i think god is so magnificent magnificent so almighty so powerful so majestic so um, you know basically the the words to describe him it's indescribable how good he is, but every time you look at a different facet of who God is, you're discovering something new. So knowing God motivates me. Secondly, my calling. Yep. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I am motivated to fulfill calling. I'm not motivated to try and build a platform for myself as I am motivated. Am I being true to what God called me to do, regardless of whether that's popular or not, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether that's a platform that people are applauding? Am I being true to what God called me to do? Mm -hmm. When the Apostle Paul is called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he's stuck in isolation in a prison cell, (laughs) he was still fulfilling his calling. Mm And I think sometimes we interpret calling to be how many people are watching me and how many people are applauding versus am I being obedient and faithful to what God asked me to do. Thirdly, the third thing that motivates me is eternity. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to recapture a perspective of eternity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And I'm conscious of the fact that there's coming a day where I will have to give an account for my life and I will have to um, stand before God. And I guarantee none of us in that day will be worrying about or comparing ourselves to anyone else. We will be wanting to um, give an account for how we've lived our lives and whether we've been true to what God asks us to do. Here's the thing I've learned about being driven, because this is something people would say about me. And I almost felt like I had to apologize for the way God had wired me as being a person who likes to get up and motivate and let's go, is if we use the metaphor of a car and our life is the car or the vehicle, somebody has to drive that car. There's nothing wrong with a car moving and progressing and having momentum. It just depends who you make the driver. My flesh can drive and that can become striving. Or if the Holy Spirit 
is what is leading me and is driving my life, there is nothing wrong with that and I just so want to hang on for the ride. <laughs> so good. I'm going to steal that analogy. Oh, you're welcome. That's brilliant. I'll send I you love the bill. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, Invoice me. Look, people generally love it when we give them a window to our weaknesses. Yep. <laughs> so what would you say have been your top two leadership mistakes? Well, I've made plenty um, and there's probably a number of people from team, both present and in the past, I could give you a long list. Do you want me to answer? No, no. no this, we'll <laughs> leave that out for today. Um, but I think um, the other side of this is we also can be our harshest critics uh, of ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's important to balance it up. It's, it. I think true humility is not just uh, looking at where we need to grow, but it's yeah. also acknowledging where we're strong. Think yeah. about that Moses actually wrote of himself the meekest man that lived yeah. on the face of the planet. Um, wow, what a statement to it's make. probably how I'll describe myself too. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> um, but I think, firstly, impatience. Um, I'm not the most patient person, um, and I've had to grow in this, particularly when it comes to ministry and leadership. I think early on in my ministry, I was always in too much of a hurry to get somewhere. And thankfully, the Lord has done a lot of work in this area where... Um, if you don't control your impatience, you'll actually um, move ahead of God mm. and you'll appoint people too quickly. You'll um, say things at the wrong time that may be the right thing, but the wrong time. Mm. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about there's a time and a season for every matter under heaven. And I, I think wise leadership and wisdom in leadership is learning the right time. Uh, not just what to say, but the right time to say that. Not just what to do, but the right time to do that. Timing in ministry and leadership is critical. Mm -hmm. Impatience will actually lead you to frustration and will lead you to um, engaging in things that are premature. Abraham ran ahead of God. He tried to, based upon the advice of his spouse, by the way, um, that often those who are closest to us in our corner may not always help uh, our impatience. But I think impatience is something that I've really tried to grow in because it's been a huge area of learning. The other is in the arena of emotional intelligence. I think for me, one of the leadership mistakes I've made in the past is letting emotions dictate my responses to ministry issues. And all of us could point to things in our life and acknowledge that's a reality for all of us. I think uh, those who are probably more prophetically inclined mm -hmm. and um, and have a real passion for, for, for the Word and for God and for hearing God's voice and for delivering that can sometimes allow our emotions to dictate our responses. You think of Moses again. His emotional response to the complaints of the people led him to respond in anger or react in anger rather than responding in smashed wisdom. Smashed them tablets. He smashed them. And, <laughs> and when God said, speak to the rock, he hit that rock with that staff when he didn't need to, which says to me that um, if you're relying upon a formula of what God did in the past to get a, a similar result in the present, you could actually get it wrong. So emotions are a really important part of leadership. Um, it's interesting that most people want leaders to grow in the arena of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. 
we often want to develop skills around, be it financial skills, uh, uh, learn more about technology and how do we leverage that for our ministries and organisations. Um, but the the majority of a lot of the research would feed back that the, the, the thing that followers want from their leaders mm-hmm. is one, to grow in their leadership, but two, to grow in emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, I've had to learn, although I may feel something in that moment about the stimulus of what someone's saying or what's happening around me, doesn't mean I automatically need to react according to that emotion. And I've been learning to not respond always out of feeling, but out of wisdom and out of, okay, God, how do you want me to process this? And sometimes I will deliberately now not give an answer to something and wait 24 hours to allow my emotion to settle Mm -hmm. so that it's not an emotionally driven decision, but it's actually more of a spirit-led and and wise decision that will have real um, positive outcomes for people. Yeah, so you're talking here about responding and not reacting, which takes great wisdom and maturity. Also, both things you've mentioned there, we're going to lean into the prophetic in a moment, are normal for prophetic people, even the yeah. impatience, yeah. because we can often see yes. ahead and we're like, well, come on, let's just get there, not understanding that not everybody is seeing what we see. Yeah. And I've had to learn I can run there alone yeah. or I can slow down and I can take a lot of people with me and really there's good. so much more joy yeah. in doing it with other people. So good. Let's talk about prophetic for a moment. What role does the prophetic play in leadership? Well, the prophetic has to do with hearing God's voice and then equipping the church and equipping others to hear God's voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one, it's a posture of intimacy with God ourselves and that relational interaction, but also it's a commitment to be able to help others hear God's voice as well. And that uh, applies to leadership as much as it applies to any individual in their walk with God. Um, The prophetic is a call to a lifestyle of intimacy and to draw closer to God's heart. And I find great authority, particularly spiritual authority, comes with knowing what God said. Um, In fact, I um, find my authority is undermined when I don't know what God's saying about a particular issue. And knowing what God has said is beyond just being able to quote the the verse in Scripture. Um, it's actually having a rhema-inspired revelation of this is what God's saying, this is what God wants to do. And so the prophetic leads into this idea of vision. Um, Proverbs talks about without mm-hmm. prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. Mm-hmm. So whenever the Bible talks about visions and dreams, um, it's not talking about a vision statement that an organization puts on a wall. It's literally talking about a spiritual encounter where you see something mm-hmm. in the spirit that God is showing you. Yeah. Well, if one of the primary roles of a leader is to cast clear vision mm-hmm. to their church, to their team, to those that are following, then in a spiritual context and in a Christian context, we better make sure that that vision is not just fantasy coming from our own flesh or our own imagination, but it's in fact coming from the Holy Spirit. And so for me, being able to hear God's voice, being able to uh, clarify what God's saying, interpret correctly what God's saying, then apply that to others and help them hear what God's saying, that has everything to do with leadership. And um People may be listening that say, hey, I'm not very prophetic. I don't have a prophetic gift. Um, The fact is, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the prophetic is at work in your life. 
every single one of us can grow. Maybe you don't have a prophetic gift, but 1 Corinthians 14 exhorts all of us mm-hmm. to prophesy even more than speak in tongues. And so the prophetic is something we all can grow in. And leaders, I want to encourage you, you have mm-hmm. a prophetic function. It's fundamental to everything in your ministry. Brilliant. Now, I want to talk for a moment about the fact that I've had four children and there's this moment in labor. It's wow. a dreaded moment. Wow. Twice I saw Jesus. This <laughs> you, moment. You had a vision. I did. This moment was called transition. <laughs> yep. And I don't ever care to go back there again. Yep. And to all the expectant mothers listening. All the best. God bless you. Yeah, we're praying for you. But as leaders, we also often have to transition people through things. And it can be painful. It can be just as painful before yeah. that final push, praise That's the Lord. It. So let's talk about the last 18 to 24 months you've been transitioning actually the oldest ACC church in Australia to new leadership. Yeah. What have you learned? I've learned a few things. Have you? And fortunately, um, transition here at Numa has been a huge blessing. Yeah. And I think it can be a blessing for leaders if done well. Mm-hmm. I would say your first hundred days, uh, around about your first three months, can really make or break your first two years. Right. And so don't underestimate as a transitional leader the impact of those early days. What I would say is honor the past. Uh, learn lots from the past of what has happened in that ministry or the church in the past, but don't live in it. Mm. God has not called you to reproduce the past, even though he's been at work in the Mm. past. He's called you to build into the future and potentially create a new future. Mm. Honor the previous leader, but remember you're not them. Mm. Um, You know, our our church is very grateful to have uh, excellent leadership in the past Mm. and people who uh, really uh, sacrifice and gave of themselves Mm. to see Numa Church be what it is today. But I also recognize that I'm not them and I honor them for who they are, but I want to be who I am. And so what can often happen is a frustration settles in when a leader is compared to a previous leader, which naturally happens. And we try and measure up to somebody else in the past, but actually God's not called you to be like somebody else because if two of us are identical, one of us isn't necessary. And we're all unique and called to bring different things. What I would say is don't overestimate what you can do in one year, but don't underestimate what you can do in five years. Mm -hmm. A lot of new leaders in transition declare a whole lot of bold things. In the first 12 months, they're going to change the world. But then they get to the end of that 12 months and realize maybe we've got a little bit more time here to change. I would say over a five-year period, you can bring about a whole lot of change. Also, don't underestimate the impact of the cost of change. Change will take far more time, energy and resource than what you think. What I would say to a leader who's transitioning a church, particularly let alone a ministry, find out as much as you can about the history before you start shaping the future. I know I spent several months Uh, hearing the stories, doing my research, reading books, listening as much as I can before I started casting vision. Why? Because God has already been at work in the life of a ministry in a church long before I got there. And whilst I'm called to play a role and shape the future, I need to understand where that church and ministry has been. Mm -hmm. I would say make sure that you are building 
cohesiveness in the leadership team that you lead. The team you've inherited may not be totally the team that you move forward with, but you need to create clarity and build cohesiveness over the coming period of time to ensure an effective transition. Is that your way of telling me I'm fired? (laughs) No, it's not. Oh, good. No, no, you're not fired. (laughs) We need you around a long time. So you have inherited the blessing of not just one site of a church, but four locations at the time, or campus model, actually. We've changed our language to locations. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that language change and the difference between church plants and multi-site campus model? Absolutely. Multi-site has been around, um, I mean, even in um, New Testament times of the first century there was aspects of multi-site concept Uh, Paul would go on his missionary journeys and minister as an apostle to lots of different sites so to speak but of the recent modern era probably multi-site over the last 30 years has been with us and really we're seeing in a western context replace a lot of traditional church planting Mm -hmm. Um, I think whether you do multi-site or not or you do just traditional church planning comes back to the calling of the leadership of the church. Mm -hmm. However, there are a few practical factors I think we need to speak to. Firstly, multi-site is slower and it requires more control. Mm -hmm. It's a very command and control type of approach. Multi-site is way more expensive and it's very dependent upon the mother church. You compare that to autonomous church planting and you'll see that um, church planting tends to be a lot quicker, a lot less restrictive. Church planting is less expensive. However, there is a high risk of isolation and independence, which can lead to all sorts of issues as well. I think in between multi-site and autonomous church planting is a middle ground. Mm -hmm. And this is where we as a church have adopted this posture where there is church planting through the apostolic grace that's on the house that reproduces churches through relationship. And in the context of that relationship, there firstly is a transference of DNA, Mm -hmm. vision, mission and values as well as accountability in that relationship but also that there is an empowerment for that particular church leader and church location to be able to operate and function in its local context Mm -hmm. in a way that is relevant to that context particularly in a cross-cultural context without the command and control dynamics that multi-site brings it is a minefield it's a journey that we're navigating and it's a journey that's that we're i believe winning uh at this point in time but in years to come we'll be able to have further podcasts and reveal some of the challenges and minefields that we've learned along the way but i would be encouraging people particularly if um, they are leading a church where they want to engage in multi-site or they want to plant churches to come back to what is it that God's called them to do Mm -hmm. and to realize that the more you want to control something, the slower it's going to move. Uh, We've got God's given us a vision to plant 200 Numa churches across the globe. That vision is going to require a degree of empowerment Mm -hmm. and discipleship and leadership development far different to just planting a couple of multi-site churches that, um, you know, has a lot of control. So, um, And I would say that in order for us to fulfill our vision, uh, DNA needs to be close-handed and very consistent, but there also needs to be a whole lot of empowerment along the way. 
And in these two models, we're not saying that either is right or wrong. We're yeah. just saying what we feel called to is a more apostolic five-fold model. I actually do think this is a great conversation for us to have in future episodes because so many people ask us about the model we're working with and yeah. what we're learning, the mistakes we're making and what we're doing well. But Pastor Corey, I know today's been a little bit longer, but I've loved hearing a bit of your journey Thank and hearing you. from you as one of the most incredible leaders I know. And another way other than this podcast that people can get what's in your heart and your mind is by reading some of your books. Yeah. How can people get a hold of those? Totally. We'll just... Um connect to our numa.church website and you'll be able to follow the prompts and be able to order uh, my two books. I've written a book called The Supernatural Life and all about the dynamic of the power of the Holy Spirit needed in leadership, ministry and in our lives, my own journey with that. And then the first book I wrote was Prophetic Vision, which is really relevant to leadership and people seeking to clarify their purpose and destiny in life. It's all about hearing and seeing God's vision for their future. Those two books have really come out of my own journey with God and I hope they'll be a blessing to people. Brilliant. And you've got another one you're working on at the moment. Um, Totally. People should be praying for you because that's going to release early next year where we do unpack some of these kingdom culture values and five-fold model. It's going to bless so many people. But my name is Stacey. It's been a privilege to host you today. Why don't you take a moment right now, click on the subscribe button to automatically receive this podcast on a weekly basis and give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I invite you to join us again next week for another edition of Kingdom Perspectives as we get God's perspective on life, culture and ministry. Remember, in all that you do, seek first the kingdom of God.